this morning, Steve is away, actually running his fifth Boston Marathon tomorrow. But um, so Steve is gone, so he asked me to bring God's word to us this morning. Um, so if you want to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15, uh, we're looking at verses 22 through 27 of Exodus chapter 15. Let's open in a word of prayer this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word has been given to us to reveal who you are. Uh, So I pray that this morning as we come and study and open your word and we look inside, I pray that your spirit would change our hearts that your spirit would come and would cause us to know you more, that we would see our desperate need for redemption in Jesus Christ, that we would see that you have provided forgiveness of sins when we repent. God, I pray that as we come to know you this morning, that you would change our hearts, And as a result, change our lives to live for your glory as we come to know and enjoy you more. So God, we thank you once more for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ. I pray that your spirit would come and would change us today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so Exodus 15, verse, verse 22. I'll read the, cha- the portion, the passage, and then we will start looking through and making some application and studying through the text this morning. So Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah, because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. He said, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This morning, as we look at this text, um, I'm going to break it up into two different sections. We're going to have verses 22 through 25 and verses 25 
because it splits in half, 25 through 27. Um, the first is, um, actually, the, the outline is found in verse 25, which says, There the Lord made the statute and a rule, and there he tested them. So the first part, we're going to look at God testing Israel. And we're going to see Israel's reaction to God's testing them. And then for the second half, we're going to look at God's response to the way that Israel reacted. So the first part is Israel's reaction to God's test. And the second part is God's response to Israel's reaction. So the first thing that we see in this this text as we look at Israel's response is that Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And this is important because this should call us to mind what happened in the previous 15 chapters. I'd love to take us through that, but I'm not going to take it through all of us. I'm going to hit some highlights. Um, This is the first event, again, that happened after the Red Sea. And so what just happened in, in Egypt was that Israel was oppressed. They were slaves to Pharaoh. And eventually God gave Israel Moses. Uh, Moses came back from an exile, and he came back to rescue Israel. But it wasn't just Moses in his own strength. It was because God had heard the cries of Israel. He had heard that his people were, were being oppressed, that the Pharaoh said, you know, kill all the baby boys. The Pharaoh said, now you're no longer going to have to build bricks with the straw that we give you. You're going to have to go and get your own straw. And God heard the oppression. But what we need to remember and know is that God is the one who provided redemption for his people. That God did all of these miraculous works, all of these ten plagues to the Egyptians. That God brought them out of slavery and he brought them to the Red Sea. And then as Pharaoh's army was like, ah, Pharaoh said, I think I'm going to actually go after these people because I really don't want to let them go. He went after them and God miraculously put a a cloud between them. Then he opened up the Red Sea so Israel could pass safely through. And Pharaoh sent his army in, and the waters collapsed on his people, on the, not his people, on the Egyptians. And God miraculously accomplished a redeeming, a rescue of Israel that they could not do in themselves. They were stuck as slaves. But yet we see God's power. Another thing that we that we see is that we must remember is God's covenant faithfulness. If you read through the story of of Exodus, there's a few times when this pops up, uh, especially chapter 6, when God says that I am rescuing you because I have made a promise to Abraham. I've made a promise that I'm going to bring him to a land. I'm going to give him the, the promised land, give him the land of Canaan. A promise that I'm going to give you descendants. A promise that I'm going to give you 
the Messiah. And it's important for us to remember these two things, that God is the one who accomplished redemption, and that God is faithful to his covenant. It's important for us to remember that as we go into the story. Because what happened? Israel set out from the Red Sea, from this great exodus, from experiencing God's redemption in their life, experiencing God's power, experiencing God's faithfulness to his covenant. And what did they do? They go three days in the wilderness, three days without water. And you know, after coming from the time in the Exodus, this shouldn't have been troubling for them. God has power over the frogs, the flies, the water. He has power over life and death. And yet they go three days without water. And they start complaining. They start forgetting that, you know, God is the one who said that he's going to bring us from Egypt to the land of Canaan. And so if God promised to bring us from here to there, even if there's three days without water, God's somehow going to provide. And yet, what was their response? They came to this water called Mara, which God is expanding the test. First, he doesn't give them water for three days, and then he gives them water that they can't drink. It's like almost there, but it's... Not there. And they come to this spring Mara, which means bitterness. And it's interesting that God would bring them as to Mara as an illustration of what their hearts are saying. That their hearts are bitter. That their hearts are not pleasing to God, that God can't enjoy fellowship with them. And it's interesting that the word Mara means bitterness. I just want to read the verse again, verse 23. When they came to bitterness, they could not drink the waters of bitterness because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named bitterness. And I just find it interesting that God would bring them to this place as an illustration to show them what was really in their hearts, to show them that, yes, God had just rescued his people from Egypt. But they don't really know and trust God's faithfulness. They don't really know who God is. They don't really know the God who just redeemed them. You see, they would rather be comfortable than God's holy people. They don't think what God has promised is really that great. They'd rather have some little bit of water than enjoying what God is going to bring to them in the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, houses you don't have to build, lands you don't have to plow. God has promised all of these things to them, and they would rather have a little bit of water then trust in a God who has promised so much. And so there was this, this bitterness in their hearts. So what was Israel's response to God bringing them through the wilderness without water, three days without water, and then finally bringing them to 
a, land, a water of bitterness, the people grumbled. The people grumbled against Moses, which is an evidence of the bitterness that was in their heart because what came out was a grumbling and a complaining because complaining shows that we are not trusting in our God. And we don't trust in our God is because we don't know our God. You see, one of the points of the whole Exodus was that so people would know that God alone is God, so that Israel would know, so that the Egyptians would know, so that the Canaanites would know, so that all the nations would know that God is God. And here we have Israel who just came out of that. And what do they do? Is they grumble. You see, they were so consumed with their physical condition of not having any water that not knowing God overflowed in the complaining directly contrary to God's character. Complaining that saying that God, you, you are not good as you promised. God, you are not faithful to your promises, because here we are about to die. <coughs> not trusting in God their Redeemer. And so they ask a question to Moses. What shall we drink? What shall we drink? And again, this should be a, a silly question. Because, really? God had just provided so much for his people. And if they say, what, what are we going to drink? Saying, God, I don't, I don't trust you. I don't trust you because even though I've experienced so much redemption... In my life. See, Israel's problem is not that they don't have any water. Israel's problem is that they don't know God. Israel's problem is not their physical circumstance. It's that they don't know God. You know, it's easy for us to look at Israel and say, what a bunch of idiots. They just came three days after God rescued them from Egypt, and yet they are complaining. So let me ask you a question. How are you on Wednesday? Three days after spending time worshiping God, singing songs, hearing God's word preached. And on Wednesday, after three days of a difficult time at work, What's your response to those situations at work? Is it a grumbling? Is it a complaining? Is it a saying, God, what am I going to do? Work is so difficult. And then you know God brings us home on Wednesday and maybe our car won't start. He brings us to water without that's bitter. Just adds on to our problems of not having any water throughout the week and then we come home and, you know, maybe... Something's going on at home, something breaks, or um, our family's being dysfunctional. What's your response in those situations? Because it's, it's easy for us to dismiss this room. But we need to bring it to our, our own lives and our own hearts. Asking if I really believe who God says he is. Do I really believe that God is going to work out his sanctification in my life 
through every circumstance. He has promised in Romans 8 that he's going to do this for us. And yet when those difficult circumstances come, what is our reaction? God, what am I going to drink? What am I going to drink? Not, man, God, what are you going to teach me about yourself? What do I need to learn about who you are, about trusting in you? Even though I don't understand what's going on, God, you said that you are going to be faithful to provide for me. You're faithful to provide sanctification in my life. So God, grow me and change me because I am yours and you are a faithful God. Is that your response or is our response so much like Israel? Man, my can't get more sleep. I, I'm just so tired, so I'm going to respond in anger, even though nothing calls for anger. It's because I'm, I'm seeking my comfortableness. How often do we grumble and complain over our circumstances? Which is only an evidence that we don't know God. As I was thinking about this sermon this morning and presenting this text, uh, something came to mind that I want to challenge us and encourage us with. It's Heidelberg Catechism, question number one. It says, what is your only comfort? What is your only comfort? And the response is this. I am not my own, but belong with body and soul both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the powers of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Such a rich passage. Not inspired. Not inspired. Uh, it's actually the quote for today if you want to write that down for later. Um, not inspired, but it is a rich text which should challenge us because it presents God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what they're doing in our lives, their covenant faithfulness, their redemption. And yet, again, how often do we respond in the exact opposite as we know that God is providing all things for us? Not even a hair can fall from our head without God somehow working it out in our lives for our sanctification. And yet again, when God brings us to those difficult times, what is our response? Do we trust in our faithful God? Uh, what's encouraging is that God didn't leave us there. God didn't leave Israel there either. Is that Moses then intercedes for his people and he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord in his mercy showed him a tree, and he threw the tree into the water, and it became sweet. See, God didn't have to do this. God could have said, Israel, what in the world? You've just experienced my redemption from Egypt. 
All of these powerful things, my showing my faithfulness, my showing my power to redeem. No, I'm not going to give you water. Because your hearts are bitter. Your hearts are rebellious. Your hearts are just like the Egyptians. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you die in the wilderness. Just like the Egyptians died in the Red Sea and the, the Egyptian sons died on the night of Passover, I'm going to let you die in the wilderness because of your hardened heart. But God doesn't do that. God is also one faithful to his covenant, but is also slow to anger and quick to show mercy. And so he does not leave his people there. He gives them the water which they need, out of his grace and mercy. And he turns this bitter water to sweet water, showing his power to provide, yes, physically, but also to show that he is faithful to his covenant. And he also is showing his power spiritually, saying, Israel, you have a bitter heart. You are grumbling and complaining. And it's only through... My change in your life, the change of knowing me that you will go from bitter to sweet, that you will go from grumbling and complaining to rejoicing in God. I see it's only by God's grace and mercy that we can have the sweetness of knowing God, that we can have the sweetness of understanding and experiencing the transformation of redemption in our lives. So that's Israel's reaction to the test. Grumbling and complaining, not remembering, not knowing. What is God's response? In verse 25, it says, halfway through, it says, There the Lord made for them a statue. A statute and rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. You see, God's response is that he makes a statute and a rule. And in the statute and the rule, it has requirements, consequences, and hope. It has requirements, consequences, and hope. The requirements are in verse 25. The consequences also in verse oh, in verse 26. Sorry, they're both in 26, not 25. Um, the requirements and consequences in 26, and then the hope at the end of verse 26. <coughs> So what are the requirements? The requirements follow a pattern. There's listening and, and response. Listening and response. And it's repeated twice. It says, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, then the response that you do what is right in his eyes. Then it comes, jumps back to listening. Give ear to the commandments, to his commandments, response, and keep all his statutes. So the requirements follow this pattern of, of a listening and response. And why does God present this? It's because Israel wasn't listening to the voice of the Lord. 
God would, if God, Israel was listening to the voice of the Lord, he wouldn't have to, to give this commandment. He wouldn't have to give this statute or rule. Because they would have already been worshiping him. They would have already been saying, God, you're so great. I, I trust in you. You know, I don't understand. I'm, I'm thirsty. I've been thirsty for the past three days. But I don't understand what's going on. But I'm going to trust in you. Because you're faithful to your promises. You're faithful to redeem us. Something bigger must be going on. So, like Job, blessed be the name of the But Israel wasn't living that way. So God said, Here's what I'm going to require of you. Is that you listen diligently to my voice. And it's interesting that he uses the word diligently because it's not just some passive thing. This is a lifestyle of meditating on the truth of Scripture. Of meditating it and pursuing knowing God. Knowing more and more about his attributes, knowing how who he is affects our daily lives. You see, it's easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're listening. It's easy to think that, uh, that I'm, I'm doing right, you know, like we're studying in Amos. The people were, were doing the right things, they were doing the religious rites, but their heart was so far away. And we find the same things. It's easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking, you know, I really know God. You know, I come to church, I, I listen, you know, I, I think about him occasionally throughout the week. But then the question becomes, how do I respond when life actually happens? Is my response driven by the character of God? Or is my response driven by my feelings, by what I want? Do I cling so closely to the, the, these temporal things, this temporal world, my comforts and my ease? Do I think that I know what's best for myself? Rather than diligently listening to the voice of the Lord, listening exclusively to God, exclusively to his voice, and seeing him work in us as we trust in him when we don't understand what's going on. See, God has shown himself to be faithful. He has shown himself to be faithful to Israel, and he has promised the same thing for us. And the requirement is still the same, that we... Listen diligently to the voice of the Lord your God. And the response is if you listen to the voice of the Lord your God, if you, if you listen and you, you hear and you're, you're meditating on the truth, is that you will do that which is right in his eyes. That these actions will naturally come because you are meditating on who he is. See, our obedience is an evidence of pursuing a knowledge of God. Of pursuing knowing, as Paul says, the, the height and the depth and the breadth of the, the love of Christ. And Paul asked that he would understand this with all of the saints, that they would grow up. In another passage, that they grow up in maturity. You see, how we live reveals if we're listening. The second listen and respond is give ear to to his commandments. Give ear to his commandments. This is us listening and knowing the character of God. 
You know, someone's character is revealed in what they command. For example, Pharaoh said, kill all of the baby boys. Is not his character revealed in what he commanded? His character that says God is not faithful, his character that says Israel is not important, the Redeemer is not important, and he's revealing his selfishness, he's revealing his pride in his commandment to kill the baby boys. Is not the same thing true for God? That God says, give ear to my, my commandments. And why give ear to my commandments? Is not, yes, so that you can obey and glorify him, but the, the main thing is that so you can know God. Because in his commandments, his character is revealed. And so are we spending time pursuing and knowing God's character through his word, through listening? And the response is that, again, that we will keep all his, all his statutes. So we listen, and then we respond. We listen, and then, then we respond. But if we're honest with ourselves, you have to say, man, it's not really what I'm, how I'm living. Oftentimes I find myself more like Israel, grumbling and complaining against God, not pursuing a knowledge of him, which kind of live my life and then reacting and pursuing my own glory and my own comfort. And there's a, but there's a consequence. So there's a requirement and then there's a consequence for our actions. And God says, if you listen to my voice, if you give ear to my commands and naturally respond because you are listening, then I will put none of the diseases that I put on the Egyptians. That I will put none of these diseases on you. And this is, has a positive twist on it, but let's look at the negative. If you don't listen to my voice, if you don't give ear to my commandments, if your life is not affected by knowing God, then I will put, not none, but all of the diseases that I put on the Egyptians. Which begs the question, what are the diseases of Egypt? Well, in part, there was a physical suffering. Throughout, the, if you read through the story of the Exodus, it's repeated that the land stinks, or the land is destroyed, the animals are destroyed, the crops are destroyed. There's dead frogs everywhere. The land was decimated. There was a physical destruction to the land of Egypt. But the ultimate consequence, the ultimate disease of Egypt that they faced was not a destruction of their land, but death. It was death. See, in the Passover, it was a, was a picture of the death that would come upon them because of the hardness of their hearts. That they did not believe God, and so all of the firstborn sons, it says that not a single house would not have wailing in that night because there would be death everywhere. 
So the consequence for not knowing God is death. It is a spiritual death. Yes, we are going to die physically. It is the eternal future death as well. And that's the consequence for not knowing God. Is that if you don't listen to his voice, if you don't give ear to his commandments, if your life is not changed by who he is, then you will experience the same disease that he put on the Egyptians, which is, you will die. And so far, this is pretty hopeless. Because not one of us can say that I have kept all the statutes of the Lord. Not one of us can say that I have always done what is right in his eyes. To put it differently in Romans 3, it says none is righteous. None of us. You know, we all, left to ourselves, grumble and complain, think that we deserve better than what God is providing for us, even out of his goodness. We all don't listen to the voice of the Lord every single moment of every single day. But God, out of his grace and mercy, just like he gave a log to Moses to throw in the, into the stream, God doesn't leave us to ourselves. Doesn't leave us to this death. Because the last, in the last phrase of verse 26, he gives us the hope. It says, for I am the Lord, your healer. I am the Lord, your healer. You see, this phrase that, that I am the Lord, your healer, is the motivation for us to listen to his voice. It's the motivation for us to respond in obedience. So what is God trying to drive home? First, he says, I am the Lord. And if you'll notice, I know that we've brought this up numerous times, that Lord in all caps, his covenant name, which means I am, which is interesting because God says, I am the I am. I am your I am. I am the Lord, your God. You know, I am the, the creator. I am omnipotent. I have been ever from everlasting to everlasting. I have the one who has power over all of creation. You know, I can provide you water with a spray. I can throw a log into a river and it becomes drinkable. You know, I can split the Red Sea. I can provide death and destruction to an entire nation. I am the Lord. God is calling to his people to know him, to meditate and dwell on who he is. But not only is he this creator, this one who sustains everything, who's sovereign, who's powerful, this is also God's covenant name. 
saying that even though I am so great, I am, I have come down and made my, my covenant with you. He's made it with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he's going to bring his peoples from Egypt to back to the promised land to give them that. To give them himself. And what God is driving towards here is that we need to know him, yes, his power, but we also need to know his redemption in our lives. To know that God's covenant was not completely fulfilled when Israel got to the promised land, that God's covenant was fulfilled when Christ came. It was fulfilled when that promised Redeemer, that Son, would come. Who would take on the diseases of Egypt for us. Who would take on the suffering as a result of our sin. Who would take on our death. And God is saying, I am that God. I'm the God who like we read in the Heidelberg Catechism, that I am planning everything for your sanctification, that I am the one who justifies, I am the one who sanctifies, and I am the one who glorifies. You can trust in me. I am the Lord. And not only is he the Lord, he is our healer. And so we need, we need to see that, first off, that we need to be healed. I think it's easy for us, again, to think that, you know, we're, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. But we need to see our desperation, to see that just like Israel, we have a bitterness that cannot be removed in our hearts. That we are, have a hard and rebellious heart. And we need God to redeem us because we cannot redeem ourselves. We need God to heal us because we cannot heal ourselves. You see, Christ alone is our healer. Christ alone is our healer. Israel, having water is not going to heal them. Israel, not, no longer being slaves, is not going to heal them. It is God who is the healer. God is our healer. The passage doesn't stop there. The next thing is that they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. That God, God blessed again out of his abundant mercy, not because Israel deserved any of it, because they were continuously rebellious, as it says later in the wandering in the wilderness, that they are a stiff-necked, hard-hearted people, always going astray. But God in his grace and mercy says, this is a picture of what it's like to know you. This is what a picture of what it's like to know me. This is what a, a picture of what it's like to be healed. And you know, God's not going to bring us out of our trials when we pray. And he's not going to always give us 70 um 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Life is not always going to be easy. 
But one day, God will bring us home to be with him if we are his redeemed. And we will experience this picture of complete satisfaction, complete rest. We will experience God himself and enjoy him forever. You see, this is the extent of God's healing. Yes, we may have sorrow in the night, but joy comes in the morning. This life will be filled with difficulties and trials, but we can trust in our God. We can trust in his control. We can trust in his redemption because he is a covenant faithful God. For I am the Lord, your healer. So how should we respond? First, there's a warning in this passage. A warning that says, don't be like Israel. Don't be like Israel. God's character, his covenant faithfulness, his ability to provide redemption, was clearly on display for Israel. And they responded by grumbling and complaining. They responded by saying, God, you really don't know what's best for me. I really need this water right now. So the warning, don't forget God like Israel did. Don't forget God. The encouragement, God is our healer. That even though there's nothing that we can do, we're stuck like Israel, stuck in our sin, stuck in our bitterness. We have no water. God says, I am your healer. In Christ, here are 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Because I am your healer and will provide beyond what you can ever think or imagine. God says, trust in me. For I am the Lord. Your healer. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the challenge that you have presented to us this morning. As it's so easy for us to forget who you are, to forget your character, which is evident in how we live, is that we grumble and we complain when things are uncomfortable. Not even difficult, yet uncomfortable when we complain. But God, we thank you that you have not left us in our sin. You have not left us to experience death for our sins. We thank you that as we come and repent and trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ, that you provide a healing and a sweetness that we could not accomplish in ourselves. 
So this morning we come not trusting in our obedience, not trusting in our works, but trusting in you, our healer. God, I pray that you would change us, that you would capture our hearts with who you are, cause us to pursue you with our lives. And may our knowledge of you, of this true knowledge of you, be evidenced by our changed life. God, show us yourself for your glory. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.